Church experience online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience Worship original songs, and we hope that gives you the opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. and lies. There's a whole bunch of them that you might be believing without realizing it that are hurting your relationship. Maybe someone's put a label on you that's really hindered your relationships. Well, last week, if you missed it, to catch you up, we, we talked about the most important label that any of us can wear in our lives, and that's the label that we're children loved by our Father in Heaven. And if you missed last Sunday, I want to encourage you on your way out today, we got these little wristbands that many of us have been wearing throughout the week just to remind us of that. And it says loved. That's the only thing it says on it, loved. I'm loved by my Father in heaven. And you can't give love until you've received it. And so if you missed last Sunday, you can catch up online and then grab one of those wristbands on the way out. But you're loved. That's an important label to carry. Well, today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about some lies that you believe. We're going to talk about the lies that we believe in relationships that good relationships don't have problems. That's a lie. They do. Even great relationships have problems. And another lie that we believe is that relationships can't get any better. Wherever you're at in your relationship, whether it's a horrible relationship, you feel stuck, it's not going to work, a friendship, a marriage, whatever it might be, or a relationship that's pretty good, and you think, well, this is about as good as it gets. That's actually a lie because it can get better with God's help, and so we're going to talk about that today in just a few moments. You know, uh, one of the things that I'm just so fired up about, and, and you guys heard a little bit earlier, but this new building, it is going to be so awesome, and we're looking forward to March 3rd, our first Sunday, and then March 24, our grand opening in the new building. But before we get to that, I got to let you know that next Sunday is also a historic day. Like, we're really looking forward to the third. But next Sunday is our last Sunday here. And the reason why you want to be here is because it's a historic Sunday. Our whole history and our short history as a new church, we've been setting up every week. We've been breaking down every week. And we've been, having, been meeting in temporary space. And that's our last Sunday to do that together. So we have a special gift for you next week. I'm going to introduce you to somebody you haven't met that you're going to want to meet that's going to be here next week. That's going to be a great day. Uh, so you, you don't you want to miss next week. Bring somebody with you. It's going to be awesome. And also some of you are like, well, man, I, I'd love to have those stories, you know, 10 years from now. If I'm still part of this church, you know, like, man, remember those days when we were setting up and breaking down? But I, I always wanted to, but I just never got around to it. Well, guess what? Next Sunday, that's your last chance, okay? So show up early, help us set up, or stick around with us after this service. After the 11 o'clock service, we're going to break everything down. And all the kids' classes up here, all the sound system, everything, we're putting it in, in our two trucks, and we're going to drive it over to the new property. So we're going to provide lunch uh, as we unload everything over the new building. You can kind of hang out. It'll just be a great time to get to know people. 
people. So if you want to make plans next week to hang out with us, I'm sure that moving in party will turn into a work party and we'll be accomplishing things. It'll be a lot of fun. So, so join us. And it's kind of like, you know, if you've ever moved and, you know, like you're, you're carrying out that last piece of furniture and your friend that you thought was going to be the earlier showed up and he's like, hey, guys, I'm here to help. And you're like, okay, well, it's perfect timing. You just carry this last couch. So that's you. You can be that guy, that girl. It's like you missed out on all these other years, but, hey, you can still be in on it, and then you can tell the stories with us years, years to come. Remember when we set up. So join us. And, you know, I, I'm really excited about today's message because I think it's going to be super impacting. And God and his timing, his goodness, I'm telling you, there's so many things that God just continues, those little daily things that amaze me. Uh, you know, you can tell, obviously, my voice is going out as this weekend went on. It's just like was decreasing. And uh, even this morning, I could tell, like, I'm not going to be able to speak. And, and just God and his, his kindness, uh, we had planned uh, a while back in the series to have uh, Pastor Kevin Myers teach today. And I was so thankful when I saw that because I'm like, I don't think I could do it. And I don't think you want to hear me like talk like this for 30 minutes. But Pastor Kevin Myers, uh, those of you guys who don't know who he is, Pastor Kevin Myers is a mentor and a friend of mine. Um, he pastors one of the greatest churches in America in Atlanta, Georgia, called 12 Stone Church. It's really an incredible dynamic church with campuses throughout Northeast Atlanta. Thousands and thousands of lives have been changed by Jesus to that church. And that's where I was at before coming down uh, to plant church experience. And PK, uh, as we call him, through dozens of conversations in person, over a lunch table, text messages, he's been praying for us as a church, praying for you guys, praying for me, mentoring me. It still does to this day and is a huge influence in my life. And a message that he's going to share today, you got a lot of notes there in your weekly. And so I hope you'll take notes. He loves to get us engaged, so I hope you'll engage. It's going to be a powerful message, not only for romantic relationships, but all of your relationships, if you'll take some of these principles. It'll be a blessing to you. So, so let's jump in. It's going to be an awesome morning. Now, when I was growing up, the word love was used often in my family. I would hear my parents uh, exchange, I love you, and, and they would use it toward us. Kids, I love you, and we would send it back, I love you. It was, it was uh, what you'd say part of the, the family lingo. And then when my parents' marriage blew up, and when our family broke down, I was, I was marked by that. I was, I probably you could say I was devastated. I was, I was jaded. And I decided that love ought to mean something. When you say I love you, you ought to live that out. I mean, you shouldn't get to say I love you without living it. Anyhow, I, I, I decided that I was never going to use the word I love you in a dating relationship <laughs> until I really meant it. In fact, literally until I was ready to get married. I, I, I know that that sounds extreme. You're thinking, now is that literally true? Oh, yeah. Even in dating relationships, when some girls use the old Partridge family song, <laughs> oh, the song where, where, where you, you feel like you're in love, I, I wasn't moved. I, I, I wasn't drawn. I think I love you never moved me from David Cassidy to say back to one of them, I love you. In fact, I never said it to anyone other than my mother and my sister <laughs> until my last year of college. And then I said it to the last person I ever dated. I was dating Marcia Cliff. We've been dating for like 16 months. And I finally spoke the words, choked him out. I love you. I asked her to marry me. We've been married for 32 years. Now, here's my question for you. When you are dating, 
when you're married and you use the word, I love you, what does that mean? Well, Hallmark is always ready to help stir the heart when it comes to love. So listen in on this story where they brought Bob and Kim together, and we get about two minutes of their story, and, and we get something to aspire to in love. Listen in. Okay, no problem. My first impression was, I think I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. She's a nice-looking girl, but I think she's going to be hard to get along with. <laughs> Three days later, he told me he was going to marry me. I remember saying to her, well, you're going to have to marry me. <laughs> I told him he was nuts, but he was right. That was 56 years ago. Well, that's a long time. There's a lot of water under that bridge. So how would you describe your feelings without using the word love? without using the word love? <laughs> well. They say the two become one. We've really done that, and uh, that, that just says it all. He's part of me. He really is part of me. I can't imagine myself without him, which is scary, but real. She is everything. I can tell that he loves me because I can see it in his eyes, and I can tell in the way we talk to each other, the way we relate to each other. What do you see in his eyes when you look at each other? I see me in his eyes. Feelings color everything, and uh, if you don't disclose those things, um, you're wearing a mask. I'm grateful for what you do, and I'm grateful for who you are. When all is said and done, and all the music is gone, and the noise is gone, and the conversations are gone, uh, there's still that bond between us, and uh, that's the best way I can describe it. What a great great story, touching to the heart. And so what does it mean? When you say, I love you, and you're in a dating relationship or a marriage relationship, what does that mean? Yeah, see, I think Kim has a pretty good handle on it. Did, did you catch what she said? I'll, I'll quote it for you. I can tell that he loves me. Here's what she said. I can tell that he loves me in the way we talk to each other and the way we relate to each other. See, because love is far more than an emotional feeling. Love is far more than an intimate experience. Love is going to translate into the way you relate, the way you talk to one another. And that's exactly what God is teaching us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's going to take us to a fresh place where you understand the power of I love you is going to translate into real life. Now, in the first few verses of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is describing for us that, that if you have these amazing gifts, if you have this amazing faith, if, if you have this amazing capacity, if you give everything away, you're a very sacrificial person. In other words, when he gets all done, he says, if, 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 but you don't have love, you have nothing, you gain nothing. And then he goes on in verse 4 and describes what love is. That's more than a feeling. It's an action. Love is patient. 
Love is kind. See it there with me. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. (laughs) In other words, love redefines the way you relate. To take that into this series, (laughs) Craig Rochelle, my friend in his book, By the very title of the series, from this day forward, he and his wife write in chapter 2 about fair fights. And here's the whole point. When you say, I love you, it's going to translate into the way you talk with one another. It's going to translate into the way you relate with one another. And that's going to be true in your dating relationship. That's going to be true in your marriage. Just listen to an excerpt as I read. Here's the reality, he writes. All couples fight. (laughs) Why? Well, the the short answer is because we're all sinners, and our sinfulness leads us to do selfish things. It's inevitable, unavoidable, and inherent in any relationship where true intimacy occurs. All couples fight. But healthy couples fight fair. Did you get that? Healthy couples fight what, everybody? Fair. Unhealthy couples fight dirty. With below-the-belt jabs, sucker punches, angry accusations, and bitter grudges. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for personal victory. Now keep listening, because he goes on. This is insightful and interesting. Dr. John Gottman, a marriage specialist and researcher, published a fascinating study about how couples fight. Drawn from data he completed over 16 years, Dr. Gottman claimed that he could observe a couple arguing for just five minutes and determine with 91% accuracy whether that couple would remain together or divorce. This research makes a compelling argument that relationship success is based not on whether you fight, because all couples do fight, but on how, did you get this? On how you fight. Healthy couples fight with respect for each other, with both people working together toward a solution they can agree on. Let me ask a question. Everybody across all the campuses, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever had a fight, a disagreement, an argument, with someone you care about, someone you've dated, or someone you're married to. Hands up, all across campus, hands up, hands up. Hey, listen, even if you're online right now, I've got good news for you. First of all, your hand should be up, okay? And then I want you to know you're not alone. (laughs) You might be listening to this note alone. You're not alone. All, all, All across campuses, everybody's raising their hand, why? Because all couples fight. But what God is teaching us is that when you deliver, I love you. When you truly love like God loves. Ah. That changes everything. I put it this way in your teaching notes. Love redefines how you fight. There's no fill in the blank there. Just grab your teaching notes. It's on the back of your bulletin. And and let's make sure we follow along because we're going to step into the application and the implication of this. Love redefines how you fight. And here's what we're going to do today. You ready? Here's what we're going to do. Everybody ready? We're going to go after five lessons from love. Five lessons from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where we just read. These five lessons are are, are literally going to help you move from what, what, what Craig called dirty fighting to fear fighting. There's insights in how this applies to your marriage relationship. And while you're listening, let me just give you something. While you're listening, why don't you pick out the one where you, 
well, maybe you tend to win. It would be called an area of strength. Pick that out. Just as we're going through the five, oh, that's an area of my strength, and you tend to win. Pick the area where you tend to be weak, and, and, and that's where you're going to need to put some effort in, where you tend to lose. And, and by the way, while we're doing this, just as an FYI, if you say, well, I, I tend to win the majority of arguments. Listen, if you win and your spouse loses, your relationship loses. Did you get that? And the goal here is for your relationship to win. So as we go through it, pick out where you tend to be weak, where you tend to be strong, and do not do that. Do not elbow the person you're dating, or do not elbow your spouse when we hit their weakness. Don't just, oh, that's yours, in case you didn't know. And, and do not elbow them five times and say, look at that, they're all your weakness. That's just going to add to more, that's kind of dirty fighting. So here we go. We're going to go after five things, and, and I put them in your notes. In fact, here's the best way to do it. Let's just look on the screen, because I want you to see 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're just going to pick five. There's, there's more here than we ever have. Have time to teach, but we're going to get pick five, and we're going to pick them from the message lesson, okay? From the from the message version, rather. Here we go. Just look at them together. First one: love cares more for others than for self. You'll see these in your notes. Number two: love doesn't fly off the handle. Number three: love doesn't keep score of wrongs. Number four: love isn't always me first. Number five: love doesn't want what it doesn't have. You got them all? You're looking at your teaching notes right there with me, and you see the first one. Love cares more for others than for self. But I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to take you on a little journey. I, I, I want to I put some, some lessons, some pictures. Maybe we'll just call this an object lesson. Here's the first one. Love cares more for others than for self. Now, what I have right here is I have the sponge we're going to do a little lesson from the sponge. This is the sponge from washing my motorcycle. Very precious sponge. And what we can learn from a sponge is a loving lesson and an unloving lesson. I'll go with the unloving first. Let me just show you. It's fairly obvious. When you put a little bit of pressure on the sponge, it dumps. Let me talk to you. The truth of the matter is, when you're in any relationship, particularly dating or marriage, the other person annoys you. Let's be honest. Let's just, let's just get it off our chest right now. Let's just confess that when you live with somebody, they're different than you. They annoy you. And, and so you tend to fight over these annoyances. And what you really want to do is just like the sponge, you, you, ju you just want to dump it all over. As, as soon as they annoy you, you're like, oh, I'm just going to come at you and dump this all over you and get it off my chest. Well, I smiled over this little YouTube where one couple helped us understand the weird things all couples tend to fight over. Check it out. That's not how you fold the towels. It doesn't matter how you fold a towel. It does matter how you fold a towel. If you want it to fit in the closet, you have to roll it. This goes on here. It takes two seconds. Well, then the next person who comes in will do it. That's not the point. The toilet paper goes over. It's printed that way so you can see it. No, the toilet paper goes under so that the cats don't get at it. That makes no sense. What do you want to get for dinner? I don't really care. Then just pick something. You choose. Told you. Shut up. I'm not playing this game where I list every single thing and you shoot it all down. I'm not doing this again. Well, then I don't know what to tell you. Oh my gosh, watch this. This is the best line. Did you watch this without me? You weren't.
Mama. Seriously, six more inches and it's in the sink. Anything will be fine. It's fine. food. Fine. All right, we're gonna get pizza. Anything but pizza. Why do you do this? You squeeze from the bottom. The next person doesn't have to squeeze then. It's toothpaste. It's not like it's hard to squeeze it from a new area on the tube. I, why are we fighting about this? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have made you make the decision. That being said, I think your original call of pizza is fine. Just no pepperoni. Anything other than pepperoni. I'm going to murder you, and when the pizza guy gets here, he's gonna help me bury your body, and then we are gonna get married. No, he won't, because he'll probably be like, yeah, I feel you, bro. <laughs> oh, come on. You know that's not only funny, it's just true of your life and relationships. And, and I figured out, and so did Marshall, when we got married, that even though we said, I love you, there are things that we do that annoy the other. And I'm telling you, there is something we can all learn from a sponge that'll absolutely change your relationships. Listen, the truth of the matter is, it, it removed better than 50% of the arguments and fights between Marsh and I. It just removed them. Are, are you ready? A sponge absorbs. Everybody say it with me. A sponge does what? Absorbs. A sponge absorbs. See, it not only dumps, a sponge was designed to absorb. Listen, listen. Love absorbs annoyance. Just jot it down in your notes. Love absorbs annoyance. See, see, the thing that we need to learn together is that you're going to be annoyed. It's just part of being married or, or, or dating somebody different than you. But, but love, love does something unique. It doesn't care about itself first. It cares about others first. And love absorbs annoyance. And, and I'm telling you, when you start applying that, it changes the things you argue about. In fact, I'm surprised that the video did not go to the Mac Daddy of all arguments in every household. So I put it on stage for us. It is what happens in the bathroom. It is the toilet. It is the seat up, seat down conversation. Shall we just have it together as a church? Let's just go there because we know this annoys everybody. In fact, here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you the two options and you're going to have to pick one. Know this middle of the ground. I'm not going to respond. You ready? First thing we're going to do is, is, is I'm going to say how many say the seat down is the way it should be and then you get to cheer and applaud and, and, and make all kinds of noise and, and, and then I'm going to say how many for the seat up and, and then you can do the same across all the campuses, okay? And let's just find out if we're at all divided on this, okay? Here, here we go. How many, let's start here. I, I'll say on the count of three, you ready? How many say it should be seat down? On the count of three, give all your response, right? One, two, three, seat down. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There's the big, okay, okay, you've had your chance, you've had your chance. All right, now how many of us say when you're done, it should be seat left up? One, two, three, let me hear you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's from all the guys who are scared to death to actually respond. And, and, and so, of course, in, in any relationship, you're trying to, well, which one should it be? Here's an idea. What if you just absorbed the annoyance? What if you just didn't say anything about it? In fact, what if the real answer is it's lid down and it's neither of those? What if the way they originally designed it is the way it's supposed to be so that everybody has to adjust when they walk in and when they walk out? That seems to be fair. Hey, maybe you should just figure out who is the most OCD in your marriage and then let them win because they can't handle it. You know that person. They just, they can't manage it themselves. Here's the point. When Marsha and I finally got to the place where we said, you know, we should be like a sponge. 
true love absorbs annoyances? Over half the stuff we used to fight about never even came up anymore. In fact, literally, we agreed that we would just pray about it before we'd make an argument over it. And it hardly ever came up again. List after list after list. Love absorbs annoyances. Number two. Let's look at that together. You see it in your notes, though. Put it up on the screen as a reminder that love doesn't fly off the handle. Now, let me just take us over here for a moment. See, because sometimes it can move from annoyance to anger. Maybe you can't get over it. Maybe it is just a small thing that all of a sudden is no longer a small thing. Maybe it never was a small thing. Maybe it's a big thing. And what we all know is that in our relationships, things like this burner start to heat up, and the temperature rises, and then tempers rise. And when tempers rise, you kind of fly off the handle, and, and, and you, you, you say things that you know are hurting and cutting. You wound the relationship. You, you, you divide the relationship. And you, and you know full well what, what it's done. This happens to be, kind of using this frying pan heating up, this happens to be probably uh, my greater weakness and was early on when Marcia and I connected. I kind of figured it out by the time I was in college, but I'd known all along. When I lost a little foosball game and I turned around and put my fist through the wall at college, I, I might have an anger problem. When it manifested itself in the marriage and the relationship, maybe it's in me. In fact, that sometimes I wonder, maybe I'm just born this way. Maybe this is just who I am. It seems to have always been there. Or maybe some would say, oh, it's environmental, and then your dad, because he had a volcanic temper, maybe it came from him. Whatever the case, it was in me. I mean, shouldn't Marcia just start accepting that? Should she have to live with that? And then one day, we had probably the most marking moment on this anger thing. I've told this story before. You know, when you're close to somebody, you uh, know each other's hot buttons, right? And, and you push them. And then you do that back and forth, and it heats up. And uh, it had heated up. And I pushed her buttons. She pushed mine back and forth. And at one moment, uh, I grabbed her by the shirt, and I raised my fist. And um, she gave that little half smirk and Go ahead, hit me, Pastor. And everything in me in that moment just wanted to anything but love. You know, let the heat take over. I didn't hit my wife, but, you know, there's no nobility there. I could have. I was just in me. You know, those aren't stories we tend to share with anybody else. But you know if this is your weakness, how, where you wrestle. And there were some things that we settled um, that were important for me to begin to ask of myself and I think to ask of my spouse. And, and I think you can take any issue and put this in play. 
So let's put them on the screen. They, this, this kind of became an important uh, wrestle through and wrestle down and, and come to grips with three things, if this makes any sense to you, that, that I kind of said I need to ask of myself. Uh, when it comes to personality, be yourself. Uh, we're different persons, and uh, so uniquely, uh, I'm extrovert, she's introvert. So when it comes to, uh, you know, your own personality, yes, be yourself. But when it comes to character, be like who? God. And there's something I wrote here that I, I want to read it exactly as I wrote it, because I think we wrestle with this kind of stuff as a culture. So let me just read it the way I wrote it, because this is how we wrestle through it. Because Psalm 145 um, Chapter 8 tells me that God is slow to anger and rich in love, and that I'm supposed to be like him. So let me read this. Uh, See, God calls selfish anger and rage a sin. And I don't get to indulge it because I feel it. I don't get to justify it because it's been in me since I was a kid. And while it's one of my bents, I have to call it sin, not hide behind it as part of accepting me. And that right there was a very big deal for me. For us, when we concluded together that we don't get to choose sins that we like and call them good, even if, our, if, our, if it's our particular bent uh, towards some sin, what we knew is that if we did that, um, there would be nothing that would ever be called sin like in the world. And then we all live a free-for-all and nobody gets to call anything sin and uh, it's foolish, it's insane. So I'm just telling you, we settled it. When it comes to character, be like God. You know, you don't have to accept that in me. We're going to have to grow through it. And then the last thing I put up there for you is, when it comes to maturity, be better. And James chapter 1 tells us to be like God, who is slow to anger, rich in love. Be like him, slow to speak, slow to anger, rich in love. There's another piece to it, and it turns it and asks the question, what I ask of my spouse. And we'll put those up there for you just because I want you to see it in context. And so now what I say back to my spouse in response is when it comes to personality, accept me. That's what I mean when I say accept me. Accept the uniqueness of who I am. But when it comes to, to character, encourage me to be like God. Uh, don't accept that in me. Uh, let's together be encouraged. And when it comes to maturity, strengthen me. You know, pray for me, walk with me, and let's do that for each other. So that when things heat up, and let me take you back to this. So that when things heat up, love has a distinct response. You know, when the pan gets hot, when things heat up, when temper rises, <laughs> love is like Teflon. You already get this, yeah? Love is like Teflon. It lets things roll off its back. So maybe it's time uh, for some of us to figure out how to manage our anger. And we tend to fly off the handle. Third. Third, I'll put up on the screen here. Here's our third kind of scripture. Love doesn't keep score of wrongs. Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, we're going to do this with a wastebasket. There are two ways uh, to use a wastebasket. I'll I'll give the two of them to you. The first one is uh, to use the wastebasket to trash someone. <laughs> Here's what I mean. Hey, when somebody offends you or when your spouse or, or when the person you're dating, they say something wrong, you, you make a record of it. You just write it down. You offended me. 
And then you stick it on the side of the trash can so you can reference it later because you're going to need that in a later argument. And then they say something that hurts you and you write that down and you put, you hurt me. And, and then do you remember when they did that thing? Yeah, that you knew they never should have done and then you check that off. And then you just, you, just put, you just keep a record of everything that they did and you make sure you have it so that when you get in an argument, what, what do you do? When you get in the argument, you, you, you kind of say, oh, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. Let me talk to you. And, and you just start pulling off your list. You say, yeah, this, this. And really what you're trying to do is use your list of the wrongs they've done to trash the person. You just want to put them in here. In fact, for you, that's like winning the argument. So when, so when God tells us what love does and, and that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that's the other thing you do with the trash can. You, you know what he's telling us? Trash the list. Come on now, write it down. But more than that, get this in your head and in your heart. You want to fight fair? What love does is it trashes the list, not the person. And so when it comes into the next argument, it doesn't have anything to bring to the table other than the issue at hand. See, in Colossians, he tells us to forgive each other as God forgave us. Let me go just another layer here. I think sometimes, I think sometimes we have not learned how to love because we have reduced love to something we can do without God. We figured out how to bring love down to, to something that doesn't even need God to help us. We've watered it down until, until love is more like cotton candy than the cross. We say, I love you to somebody. It, it's like cotton candy, huh? It, it's sugary. It's empty calorie. It's really empty words. What it does is give us a little high, a little fleeting emotional high for a moment. Makes us feel good. It's really about us and it doesn't cost much. Yeah. But when God said, I love you, and I would not count your sins against you. Now that was costly love. That he sent his son Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son when Jesus came and voluntarily gave his life on the cross and died for the sake of our sin, of restoring us so that we could be forgiven. And then the Holy Spirit gets a moment to tell us how to love one another and when he does, he says in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives. And then if we're not clear, he puts definition to it. As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? On the cross, he gave his life for us, forgave us that way. And wives, respect your husbands. Return that kind of honoring love. Hey, all I'm saying is this. Maybe, maybe the lesson of the trash can is yours. Maybe you've been using it to collect your list and to trash your spouse. And maybe it's time to trash your list, huh? Fourth, the hammer and the nail. Oh my goodness. And here it is, love isn't always me first. Let's talk for a moment. Love, if you're taking notes, hears before it's heard. Jot it down. Love hears before it's heard. And, and, and I wanna just have a little conversation with a hammer and a nail. And I wanna do it with a video that is every husband and wife's conversation at some level. You'll get the point. Listen in. It's just 
there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop over... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just don't try to see things my way. Oh, try to see things my way. It's not about the nail. Everybody across campuses, say it with me. On the count of three, it's not about the nail. You ready? One, two, three. It's not about the nail. But you know what? When you're in the intensity of an argument with your spouse, it, you're on the side. If you're on that side where you're sitting there like, it is about the nail. No, it's not about the nail. I, I know these are dangerous conversations. So I, I, I could take some risks that I really don't want to take. So let me, let me just talk for a moment about the hammer. I want to tell you two things from that video that I think are just going to help all of us if you can understand its application. The first one is, well, we'll just use the hammer. See, just as the video illustrated, there are going to be times when one or the other of you, and it's not always the wife, but I'll just keep going, where there's a sense of hurting or struggling or suffering or working through something. And, and what they need more than anything else in the moment is to be heard. That's it. They want you to hear them. They, they just, they, they need in that moment empathy. They don't need you to grab the hammer and to drive home and pound home the point. They, they don't need to be fixed in that moment. Because the first thing love chooses to do is to hear. That's empathy. If you're going to be in a relationship, you're going to need the skill. It's what love does. Love hears, empathizes, connects, and understands. Now, if you're the person that needs to learn to empathize, put the hammer down, and as for a moment in the video it illustrated, connect, empathize. Love chooses to hear. Love is not figuring out how to fix, it's not figuring out how to solve, and, I, and, and the reason they use the guys, because I know when you know guys, that's our tendency. Listen, I could stop the conversation right now, I can tell you what's wrong with you. That doesn't work. Just amps up the argument. Now I'm going to take the other side of the conversation. That's the nail side. There are moments when you're in the heat of a conversation and you're the one who has the nail in their head, whichever one it is. And you want to be empathized, you want to be understood. And when you have been heard, when it's all over and you've been heard, good, good. And maybe not immediately in the next minute, but at some point there needs to be a conversation about the nail. At some moment, listen, 
You need to respond with love and you need to hear. At some point, the conversation needs to turn and there needs to be a chance to pull out the nail. (laughs) This is a tricky little one because all of us want to be loved and we tell everybody else how to love us. We want to be heard, but we don't necessarily want to turn around and hear and listen. Go get this in your relationship. Marsha and I figured out early on when some 20 years ago we wrote our fair fight rules. In fact, you can find it online. The details are right at the bottom of your teaching notes. And you can get online, you can see what we wrote together. And the way it started is this. We figured out that since I'm such an extrovert and tend to be so aggressive and I tend to use the hammer and I'm like, just listen, I've got it all together. Here's what we decided. Whenever we have a fair fight, we have to call a time out and, th- and, and then we call for a time for the fight and then when we sit down and we have the fight, we got some rules and in the rules, Marsha has to speak first. Why? Because she tends to be the quietest. I tend to be the loudest. I tend to talk over her. She tends to withdraw. So we just agreed the very first thing that we do in every fair fight is she's got to speak first and I can't speak about the issue until I can communicate back to her that I've heard her And when she says, I think you understand me, then it's my turn. You go get those. Write your own fair fight rules. Figure out what helps you, how to navigate the hammer and the nail. But it's not always me first. Number five, here we go. Let's look at it together. They'll put it on the screen. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. And now we have to have a conversation, oh, for all of us. This is whether you're dating or married or otherwise. But but I'll put it in its context. This is a conversation, this is something that every, oh my, every couple has to face. And every person has to face. And that is that we all, if you'll go with me on this, live in a measuring cup. That is to say that we all have a certain amount in life. Keep listening. (laughs) And it's a glass measuring cup. And we can all see through. And so what we have is a world that we live in where other couples or other people have more than us. They have what, everybody? More than us. See, there are people that have more money than you. There are people that have more stuff than you. Hey, there are people that have more followers than you. They get retweeted more than you. There are people who get more praise than you. There are people who have more accomplishments than you. There are people who have more education than you. They're just people that have more. And you're going to live in a world where you have a certain amount, but other people can see you, you can see them. And hey, listen, and we do a whole lot of looking at other people's measuring cups, and we do a whole lot of measuring. And what that stirs is jealousy, envy, discontent. And discontent undoes relationships. And love is content. I was talking with the 12th stoner a couple weeks back. And he was sharing a story with me several years ago in his life. He was on a missions trip. He's in a third world country. He was on a hill overlooking a village. He was with a tribal leader. And he asked the tribal leader, what, what's in the way of the good news, the gospel of God coming into this community? What's in the way? What can we do? What, what, what's the real problem? And, and, and so in a place where there's such poverty and such challenge, he's waiting for all kinds of big, grandiose, social kind of solutions, issues. And, and, and here's, what the, here's what the tribal leader said to him. 
The number one barrier, what's in the way, is materialism. When he's telling me the story, it's like I couldn't believe it. I said, it's what? He said materialism. He said, how on earth can it be materialism? He's looking down into this, into this village. And he says, well, as soon as a man gets a thatch hutch, when he gets himself a little hut, he all of a sudden wants a stone hut. And when he gets a stone hut, then he wants a steel roof. And when he gets one cow, he always wants two. He said, it never occurred to me how it's everywhere. Look at what 1 Timothy chapter 6 says. It's, it's right on the screen. Paul was writing to Timothy to teach the church, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You see, many of our relationship arguments are over money. We're doing the measuring, and it's stirring jealousy. Instead of looking what we have, and stirring gratitude. Jealousy, discontent, undoes a relationship. So, here we are. Lessons to move from dirty fighting to fair fighting. And as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, you have the five. Which of the five is a strength for you where you tend to win? Which of the five is a weakness where you tend to lose? And maybe you can... Make that your date night conversation this week. Walk through it together. Maybe you'll go the next level and together you begin to write some fair fight rules. And we want to pray over you for God to help you mature and become people who no longer fight dirty, but fight fair. Wow. What an incredible message, so filled with wisdom, and I hope that that blesses your relationship. You know, I was laughing, the whole toilet thing, that was, that was me, man, that was my world. I, I grew up with brothers, so in our house, we never needed to put the seat down, like, that was my world, and then I got married, right? And then I learned a whole different world, and I learned to put the seat down, it took me a lot of years, but I finally figured it out, and, you know, 16 years of marriage, I got it down. But what's interesting is then I eventually had boys, and then I, I realized that my boys naturally left the seat up. And so I had to start teaching them. And, and they would get it right a lot, but then they would forget sometimes. And then I had two girls, right? And, and then the girls inevitably, you know, early morning, you know, going to the bathroom half awake or late at night, they go in there, and, and one of the boys forgot to put the seat down, and they sit down. And I realized that when I was first married, I used to say, well, that's not fair. I got to put the seat down. And now I realize to say, well, guys, that's not fair of you not to put the seat down. Because you got to take care of your sisters. You love them, so you want to serve them. And I, I, and I saw the difference in my life and just the change, man, God's grace in my life and the growth. And, and, and I hope that maybe today the thing that you can be most encouraged by is to know that wherever you're at in any of these areas that we're talked about, you may feel like there's no hope. Man, there is so much hope because God can help you have a great relationship. Maybe you've been burned by a past relationship and you're timid about being one. Not even just a romantic relationship. You don't let people get too close. Friendships break apart. Listen, God can help you not only heal a past relationship, but God, God can make a relationship whole. He can make it thrive. And wherever you're at, he can make it better as you learn to serve, as you learn to care, and as you learn to love for each other. Right on? Hey, before we pray, I got to tell you guys, I have a... I have a recommendation for you, uh, Pastor Kevin Myers. He's got such a great uh, book called uh, Grown Up Faith. 
and it just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's basically a book on apologetics, and it's a, it's, it's a book that goes through the 10 questions that people ask that don't have faith in Jesus, and he addresses them, talks about having a grown-up faith. He also talks about in the book uh, the mirror image of the Bible and how the Old Testament reflects the New Testament and vice versa. It's just a really powerful book. I encourage you to get it on Amazon, wherever you can get it. If you, if you have a hard time being able to afford to get the book, let me know. We'll get a copy for you. And also, in the back today as you leave, we have several copies of The Home Run Life available. So if you've not read that book and you would actually read it, I want to encourage you to take one of those books with you. If you're not going to read it, leave it for someone else so they can take it. But, but I encourage you to take that book as our gift to you. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today. Climbing over the mountain